0: man hey, amen what a what a great day to to be alive, right? The morning was beautiful like fifty eight degrees this morning when I was walking my dog I, I was a little bit aggravated at first, you needed to go out, but I was very grateful <laughs> a little bit later, like this is really nice I, I, I want to start off this morning by reading some God breathed alive and active words, and, and I want us to read them together and We're going to take turns reading each slide, and these are just some of the 176 verses that make up Psalm 119, the longest uh, book in the chapter in the entire Bible, And, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but you're going to see very quickly that the psalmist was totally obsessed with the Word of God. And so I'll hit the first slide, you get the next, and we're going to make this happen. Joyful people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your word. As I learn the rightness of your word, I will thank you by living as I should. How can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will your and not your I have chosen to be faithful. I've determined to live by your commands. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Amen. Give me an eagerness for your word rather than a love for money. Amen. You can see he's a little bit obsessed with the Word, don't you think? And James, Jesus' half-brother, said this about God's Word. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, into God's Word that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. May God bless, and may the Holy Spirit inspire the reading of his word. And welcome to Maple Grove, welcome to week seven of the Summer of One. I understand, since June the 25th, we have been spending our time each week unpacking what is known as the one and commandments in the New Testament commands, decrees, regulations, and instructions from God to us in his word about how we are to operate relationally in his church in this Jesus gathering, uh, which he gave himself up for, bleeding and dying in order to establish her 2,000 years ago. I understand our, our oneness, our, our unity is a is a huge and massive deal, and it matters greatly to our God. It's of supreme importance to our God, which is why in the garden, mere moments before his arrest, Jesus prays so desperately for it. In John 17, the goal is for all of them to become one heart and one mind, just as you, Father, and me, and I and you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me the same glory you gave me, the Holy Spirit I gave them, so they'll be as united and together as we are I and them, and you and me. Then they'll be mature in their oneness and give the godless world evidence that you sent me and love them in the same way that you love me. So, do you, do you see how important our oneness and unity really is? Uh, understand, without unity, Countless people who are still lost on the stormy sea will never find Jesus and be rescued. But instead, they will leave this earth without him and be separated forever from him. Yes, our disunity and our un has a very, 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 very high cost. Which again is why our union our oneness matters greatly to our God. Question, does our unity matter greatly to you? Does it matter greatly to me? And and listen, because unity means so much to our God and Savior, I'm confident that he's pretty pretty pumped up. Uh, That we have spent all this summer talking about how we can live out such things as serve one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, encourage one another, accept one another, yeah, we've had some pretty awesome conversations this summer. Amen. But listen, if all if all I do is stand up here and talk about it. And all you do is sit out there and listen. And neither of us takes any real action. Neither of us makes any measurable movement in serving, forgiving, caring, accepting and encouraging one another, then it's all pretty pointless. Right? In fact, all we would really accomplish would be to make ourselves feel a little warm and fuzzy, right? but only for a little while, because that kind of warm and and fuzzy, like seeds planted on a rocky soil, quickly fades, like a man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like and makes no changes to his appearance, but what if we, what if you, what if Me, what if the person to your right and left actually took some real action? I mean, what if there really was measurable movement in each of our lives in the direction of obeying these commands? Do you think it would help us to experience the oneness that Jesus prayed for so desperately in the garden? You bet it would. Question, who here would like to be part of a church, part of a Jesus gathering who actually, passionately, joyfully, consistently, and sincerely, following the example of Christ, served one another, forgave one another, you know, no bitterness, no holding on to grudges, carried one another's burdens so no one has to carry a burden alone, who encouraged one another rather than tearing down each other and who accepted one another even though we got various and different opinions. Would anybody like to be a part of a church that actually lived that out? If you would, stand up. Stand up. You want to be that kind of church? You know, if... All right. All right. You can sit down. If you never stood up, you know what? That's okay. Maybe you couldn't. Let's become that church. Let's become that Jesus gathering. I mean, will you do your part? in serving, forgiving, accepting, encouraging, and caring? To Make it happen? and Now, now I want to pray us into our conversation this morning. One I'm, I'm calling unanothering. It is actually a word. You can look it up. No, I don't, it probably isn't. It should be. Unanothering. It's like what not to do, right? And before I pray in the conversation, I, I want to remind ourselves exactly who it is we're about to approach, whose throne room we're about to enter. Now, understand our God is beyond huge. No one can. No one can measure his greatness, and he deserves, in fact, he demands more respect and honor than you and I are currently giving to him. And I was reminding of this truth early Thursday morning as I sat on my back patio reading Isaiah chapter 66. Up to this point, Isaiah had, has written 65 chapters, and so these are his final words, and, 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 and these final words... God is speaking to Isaiah, and he's asking his followers a question. Basically, it's this, who do you think you are to ignore what I ask of you and instead do your own thing? All the while acting like I'm okay with that, and I'm okay with you. And God says, I'm not. He writes, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Think about that. You ever use a footstool? When I read this, I actually was using an improvised footstool on my patio. Here's a picture, actually. Here I am. There's my footstool. There's my little dog right there. And I'm reading footstool. And I'm like, that's nuts. Like, the earth is, like, really, really big. And God is so big that he just props his feet up on the earth. And not only that, the place where he sits This entire universe, billions of galaxies, that's where he takes his seat? I know it's crazy, right? How do you get your brain around that? But that's who our God is. That's how big our God is. And then he says, could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? Answer, no, we can't. And then God continues, my hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. God is huge. He's powerful, and he's 100% in charge of everything and everyone. Then he says this, I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. Contrite heart is a heart that is broken by the things they've done that are wrong, and they are willing to change and repent. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my words. Question, do those three things describe you? Do you have a humble and contrite heart? And do you tremble? Do you tremble at the words for he who props his feet on the earth and sits enthroned in the universe, right? Do you tremble? Then he says this, but those who choose their own way, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. So the picture he's painting is these people are like, Hey, I don't want to give up on God completely. You know, I'll keep him in my back pocket. I may need him every now and then if something goes wrong. But I really don't want to follow him. But I'm going to go through the motions of following him, right? That's the picture he's painting. They're going through the motions of worshiping God, but they're really not following God. Here's what God says. When such people sacrifice a bull, it's no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. When they sacrifice a lamb, it's as though they have sacrificed a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, they might as well offer the blood of a pig. When they burn frankincense, it's as if they had blessed an idol. I will send them great trouble, all the things they feared. For when I called, they did not answer. And when I spoke, they did not listen. They deliberately sinned before my eyes and chose to do what they know I despised. On my Facebook post, I put hashtag truth, hashtag may we all tremble, hashtag he deserves more respect and reverence from every one of us. Guys, that's who our God is, right? He's not someone that we just mess with. Call you when I need you, but <laughs> don't, no, this is a big and powerful God. And when he speaks, he expects you and I to listen and, and to tremble at his word and so I just want us reminded of who, who we're about to speak to in prayer and, and whose words we're about to hear, the words of him who makes the earth his footstool and sits enthroned in the heavens. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we love you. And God, we're in all of who you are. God, your greatness. How can we even wrap our head around it? You prop your feet like on a footstool. And that footstool is the earth. God, you sit. And thrown above the circle of the earth. God, there's no one greater than you. And you're great and you're good and you're kind and you're awesome and you're amazing and you love us and you pursue us and you're giving us your word. You've told us who we're supposed to be. You're giving us words that lead to life and your word is where our happiness will be found perpetually. And God, I pray that each of us, myself included, just turn to you and Holy Spirit, empower your words today. In Jesus name. Amen. Did you ever ever have any chores growing up that you really hated? Now, was a kid, there was a chore that my parents gave me in the spring and the summer that I really hated. You know what that chore was? Pulling weeds, right? You know, pulling weeds. Hated it. Anybody like to pull weeds? And I don't know why my parents gave me the job because they hated it too. But fortunately, as time rolls on, you become a parent and you get to delegate that responsibility. Being a parent is such an awesome thing. And I don't think anybody likes to pull weeds, but yet everybody wants to have a beautiful lawn or garden, right? And that's true spiritually as well. I mean, most of us, right, stood up a few minutes ago and we declared that we want to be a church church. We want to be a garden full of serving, accepting, forgiving, encouraging, and carrying people. And that's great. We should plant those things. We should want those things. But the New Testament also commands us to, in addition, right, it, to make sure, if we want our oneness to be reality, that there's some weeds that have to be pulled up. You see, we will never grow we'll never fully grow the plants of oneness and unity until we pull up the weeds of disunity. You know, whenever we pull up weeds in the yard, or flower beds, <clears throat> sometimes we want to get it over as quick as possible, right? <clears throat> so we skim the surface. O- only pulling up what is quick and easy, without digging down deep, pulling the weeds up at the roots. And the problem is, is that some weeds, like dandelion, right? uh, they, they, they have roots that, that, that are eight inches Deep, like I have a nice weed right here. I got a lot of nice weeds here. It's not a dandelion, but see those things down there, like they're called roots, right? You know, and we all know that if you if you don't get the root, this bad boy's coming back, right? And he's probably bringing some friends with them, right? Just a matter of time. Another critical thing in pulling weeds is to know what a weed looks like because. Some weeds are pretty good at disguising themselves, right? Like as a kid, I, I really liked dandelions. I didn't know they were a weed, right? They looked so good on the surface. How could they be a weed, right? And we actually did this weird thing. I don't know if you did it. I don't know where it came from. But it's actually really weird. You know, we would take a dandelion. We would, you know, we would wrap the thing around it. And we'd go, my mama had a baby and her head popped off. Don't know what that means. I really want my mom to keep her head, but we did that right? And, and then we would take, you know, when the dandelion was not a flower, the little white things, you know, we would do what? We would blow on it, right, and make a wish. And those things we're blowing on are actually seeds, right? So if our wish was for more seeds, that, that, that wish came true. You know, it, you know, and here's the truth. You can wrap it in a bow, you can call it a flower, but it's still a weed. And if left unchecked, it will spread and grow, taking over your entire garden, killing whatever it is you're trying to grow, Get it? Good. Uh, a few more things about pulling weeds. Um, not all weeds are easy to pull. Some of those bad boys have thorns, right? <laughs> you, know? you know, and, and you got to be careful, right? You know, and, and the real deal is if you're serious about pulling weeds, you're going to get stuck or scratched every now and then, right? Because some of those jerkers just don't want to come out. Another thing, it's, it's nice to have help when pulling weeds, Um, gentel and i had the pleasure of doing that together last week it was awesome time pulling weeds it helps have friends with you Um, every jesus follower has some weeds in their life especially when there's times when there's a lack of rain you know have you ever noticed that that grass like likes water and weeds can thrive when there's no rain at all right you know and guess what you know the rain symbolizes god's word and when you're not in God's word, guess what? You're, you're providing a great place for, for weeds to thrive. Number four, if we're not serious about dealing with weeds of disunity, all of our oneness, all of our one-anothering efforts will, for the most part, be futile. Five weeds are left unchecked, can and will take over the entire garden. And this is not just true in yards; it's true in our lives as Jesus followers and as a church. Number six, the church for the most part has done, mm, hasn't done a really good job at, at dealing with weeds. We just kind of walk by and ignore them. But this morning, I want to invite you to jump down in the dirt with me and begin the process of pulling up weeds, weeds that always lead to disunity, you know, and, and I've had each one of these weeds in my life at one time or another, right? And, and, and so have you, but we cannot tolerate it anymore in our lives. The first weed is stop passing judgment on one another. Now we spent a whole lot of time last week talking about this, so we'll, I'll hit this quick, but I encourage you to check it out online. You know, God was moving last week, and this sermon about accepting one another is absolutely critical for us to embrace, to have unity. Paul writes, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And we know from the context that we saw last week that The kind of judgment he's talking about is passing judgment, as he says in Romans 14, 1, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. He's not talking about calling out sin. He's talking about judging people because you have different opinions and preferences over matters that are gray areas where where God has said, hey, he's not spoken clearly about. And see, and the best way for you and I to pull up this weed of judging each other is to embrace the concept of accepting one another. And here's the five principles we looked at last week. They're true last week and they're true today, all right? Five principles help you live out accepting one another. Number one, do not judge others based on personal opinions. Remember, there's only one God and you're not him. Always ensured you're ruled by love. Pursue the right things, embrace and live from your acceptance. All right, and you can check that out. Last week, it, it was really a good time. Um, another unanothering, because we are not to unanother one another. Okay, tell the person to your right and left, do not unanother one another. <laughs> unanother. All right. Well done. Stop biting and devouring one another. Galatians 5, 14 and 15, the whole law, 63, 633 laws can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Bite, that word means to bite with your teeth, to wound the soul, to cut and to lacerate, to tear with our reproaches. The word devour means to consume by eating, like an animal eating its prey. Can you say shark week, right? All right, that's what it's talking about. Destroy, the complete destruction of a person. is what Jesus' disciples said when they go, hey, you know what, Jesus? I don't like those people. You want me to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? That's what it's talking about. We must stop biting and devour one another. And What he's talking about is unhealthy conflict. Now there's always going to be conflict in the church because in the church are people like you and me, right? But there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with conflict. And biting, wounding, and devouring one another is the wrong way. Have you ever seen conflict reach this level among Jesus' followers? I have. It's ugly, it's tragic, it's hurtful, and it's absolutely God dishonoring. And listen, this weed is left unpulled, it will grow, it will spread, and it will do exactly what Paul says it would do. It will destroy. It will destroy people, destroy relationship, destroy mission. It will destroy churches. And oftentimes, a conflict weed is able to convince itself and others that it's only been a lovely flower all along. I'm just doing God's will. But understand, if it destroys unity and oneness, it's a weed. If it destroys unity and oneness, it's a weed and it's not good. And because conflict like this is so destructive, if we want unity, we really have to develop the art of handling conflict in a way that honors God, right? And I stand before you as one who's not always done it right, okay? So I'm preaching with you, not preaching at you. John Ortberg in his book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, phenomenal book, you should buy it has a chapter called Community is Worth Fighting For. He talks in this chapter about how how, how unity is so important to our unifying God. And he says this, It is both remarkable and appalling that, by and large, in the church today, we are not scandalized by broken relationships and chronic enmity between people. When I was growing up, I knew of many churches where the sins that really got people into trouble revolved around lifestyle issues, sneaking a cigarette, having a beer, uh, going to the wrong movies, listening to the wrong kind of music. Even today, if you hear of a pastor being fired from church for moral reasons, you can make a pretty safe bet, except you're not allowed to gamble, (laughs) he says, that moral involves sex or money. We're not scandalized by a lack of love. But Jesus is. Love was his supreme value. In fact, his summation of the total teaching of divine revelation is captured in that single word, love for God and love for people. Therefore, the greatest crimes against the kingdom of God are crimes against love. To slander another human being, to carry grudge against someone who hurt me, to gossip about someone I've not even confronted, these are direct violations of Jesus' fundamental command. Yet these behaviors go on all the time, even in churches. We're not shocked by them. In fact, we would be shocked if they suddenly ceased. Then I put this one in your notes. When we violate oneness... When we contribute to relational brokenness, it doesn't just affect us. It doesn't just affect other person. We are contributing to the destruction of that which is most prized by God and was purchased by him at a, the greatest cost, the oneness of the triune community. We are, in a real sense, committing treason against the Trinity. Wow. Harper continues. The New Testament, such action was unthinkable. You're still worldly, writes Paul to the church in Corinth. And then he spells out what worldliness, opposition to God's way of life looks like. And he doesn't talk about things like wearing too much lipstick. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not still worldly? We must stop biting and devouring one another. We have to pull up that unanothering weed. And, And the best way to do that is the Jesus way, right? Is the Matthew 18, 15 way. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you won them over. This is probably one of the most ignored and violated commands of Jesus all around. Yeah, and he really spells it out in the book, but here's a simple process that we do. If there is conflict, you go to the person in private and discuss the problem. For the purpose of beating them up and proving that you're right. No, for the purpose of what? Reconciliation. We must stop biting and devouring one another. The next two unanothering weeds are found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. Let's read it in its context. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Now, the term conceited is is a really rare word in the New Testament. It's only used once or twice, and it it, it basically means to to, uh, think that life is all about you. In other words, you are self-led, not spirit-led. And when you're self-led, not spirit-led, you develop some weedy behaviors that Paul says you need to pull up. One of those is don't provoke one another. Question, do you ever say things or do things? just to provoke someone just to push their buttons yeah you do sometimes right i served on board nuclear submarines with missiles and 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 before you can launch a missile you had to spin them up right and we practice the fine art of spinning people up right poking them provoking them until they're so mad they're ready to launch right so hey okay hey Guess who I spun up today? who just spun up, right? That's not good. Do, do, do you ever do things or say things just to poke people, to pick on them, to, to be a bird, in their, a bird on their side, to aggravate them, to annoy them, to make them mad or angry, to steal their joy and happiness, to bother them? I, I mean, you know exactly what you're doing. You know, you know the effect that your words are going to say. In fact, you're counting on it. And since you're living sp- self led and not spirit led, you do it anyway. And, 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 and once you get the reaction you want, right? Target acquired, right? Launch, direct hit, they're provoked, they're upset, and I'm so happy about it. But listen, that's a weed. That's a weed. You're not encouraging people, you're you're tearing them down, you're you're taking life from them. God says, stop doing that. Stop provoking. Understand, it, it, despite what you think, God has not given you the calling or the spiritual gift to provoke people. That's just my gift. I just take people off and I poke them and provoke them, and I'm gonna burn their side. That's what God that that's not true. Pull up that weed and be spirit led crucify your own wants and desires, keep in step with the spirit and speak and act as he would. Next, don't be jealous of one another. And when we're spirit led and life's no longer about us, it's a lot easier not to be jealous or envious of other people. And envy may not seem like a big deal among all the other sins, but it can cause major problems. Number one, it often leads to other sins. James says, for where you find envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. And envy also, it makes you miserable. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but what? Envy rots the bones. I wish I had what they had. Why do they have that and I don't? Why do they get the breaks and I don't? Why do people like them and they don't like me? I wish I looked, why don't I have that? It just rots the bones and makes you miserable. And, and here's just briefly, you know, How to pull up the jealousy weed. I mean, we could talk about this forever, but here's some points you'll probably understand. Resist comparing yourself to others. That'll kill you. Trust me. Respond to the blessings of others with joy. Sincere joy. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Dang it, why did it get on the bridge? Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's so great you got that house. It's so wonderful. Okay, no. (laughs) Rejoice in what you do have. Trust God when life seems unfair. Because with his grace, you got more fairness than you deserve. And we're focused on God's plan for you. He has a plan for you. Right? Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, right? I know the plans I have for you. Right? And not to harm you, but to prosper you. God has a specific plan for you. When you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you, why are you not more like so-and-so? He's going to say, why weren't you you when you walked this earth? Why weren't you just more you? I created you to be you. Another unanothering weed we need to pull is do not lie to one another. University of Massachusetts psychologist Robert Feldman has studied lying for a decade. And he got caught lying about his research. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and the most shocking thing he found is that 60% of the people in a 10-minute conversation lie. In that 10-minute conversation, they lie about two or three times, and they don't even know they're lying until they sit back and watch the videotape and go, wow, I was lying all the time. Mark Twain said, a man is never more truthful than when he acknowledges himself a liar, right? And and, and I don't want to disagree with old Mark Twain's quote, and I don't want to refute uh, Feldman's findings. In fact, I agree, right? Uh, Our world is full of lies, right? And we're okay with lying, right? It's everywhere. Can you say politicians? Can you say the media, right? However, we're not the media. We're not the world. We're not politicians. We are Jesus followers. And and this is a Jesus gathering. And Paul says in Colossians 3, 9 and 10, don't lie to one another. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature. And all its wicked deeds. Lying is a wicked deed. Put on your new nature. If you're renewed as you learn to know your creator, and become more like him. Become more like him because God is a God of truth. God doesn't lie. God is not a liar. Proverbs 12, says, The Lord detests lying lips. But delights in those who tell the truth. See, God doesn't lie. It's the other guy who lies, right? Jesus said, Once you belong to the father of the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So all lies are ultimately birthed from who? They're birthed from the the devil. Do not lie to one another. Do you see how lying would be a dangerous weed, right? Can you see how, you know, allowing lying to hang around in this Jesus gathering would be a dangerous weed? Weed that would threaten the unity of our Jesus gathering. Is lying a big deal to you? Are, are you a trustworthy person? Can people in this Jesus gathering trust what you say? If you say something, like, well. He said it. She said it. It's, they wouldn't lie to me. I mean, is your yes yes and your no no, or people like I don't know? You ever lie to people? Hey, I'll be there. You can count on me. Oh, here's what really happened. Do you ever lie to people and tell them, hey, I'm your friend? Got your back. You can count on me. But you're really not their friend, and you wind up stabbing them in the back. Do you ever lie about people? Let's be a people who just simply do not lie to one another. Let's be a people who walk walk in truth, Right? Lying is a terrible, bad thing. It erodes trust and it destroys any hope of having unity. Even in a marriage, anywhere, right? Any relationship, right? Lying is bad. In my home, that's a cardinal rule. You break, you lie, you, you, it's bad, right? My youngest, my oldest son was lying one time, years and years ago. I broke out the Ananias and Sapphire, right? Someone lied and got killed, them! <laughs> you know? You want God to kill you, John? <laughs> it wasn't quite like that, but I broke out the story. He broke out in tears, and I'm like, yeah, he gets it. And then I can tell you that there's not a time after that that he ever lied to my face directly, ever. He never bold-faced lied to me. He looked me at eye and says, Dad, I'm telling you the truth. You no, know I said? I know you are. I know you are. That builds unity. The next two... Under another weeds, we got to pull. I, I got to rock on these, but these are so important. So just stick with me. Do not slander one another, brothers and sisters. James writes, "Do not slander one another." Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them. Speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's a few quotes about slander I found in my studies this week. One by J.A. Moyer. A defamatory word may be perfectly true. We do not have to tell lies in order to defame. The fact that it's true gives us no right to say it. In other words, the excuse I've heard some people give to say, well, if it's true, it's not slander. That's a lie. (laughs) That's a lie. Here's my definition of slander. Slanders is to say something negative about another person behind their back with the intention of moving other people to think less of them and to form unfavorable opinions about their character. To me, that's that's the definition of slander. Raise your hand if you like being slandered. Anybody? Okay, okay. Then why in God's name would we slander another believer? Why would we do that? It hurts everyone involved. It damages unity. It derails and hinders mission, and it angers God. Here, I'm going to let you hear how God feels about slander. Psalm 101, verse 5. Whoever slanders his neighbor, I will what? I will destroy. Okay, that's not good. Jesus said this, from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things, all these vile things come within. They are what defile you. Jesus said, you know what slander does? It defiles you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, you know what he said about those who slander? They will not inherit the kingdom of God, Right? And we can debate what that means. We all can agree, that's not a good thing, (laughs) right? That's not a good thing. And check this out from Psalm 15, 1 through 3. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? In other words, who does God allow into his presence? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. Understand, slander is a big deal to God. He will destroy the slander. Slander defiles you. And you'll not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And not be allowed into God's presence. Brothers and sisters, it's a new day, it's a new time. We cannot undo the past. We cannot undo our sin slanders. Slanders of sin of the past. Right? We can't go back and undo it. And every one of us has slander somebody. It's so easy to do, isn't it? It's so easy to sit on judgment of other people. Well, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't do it that way. It's so easy to talk bad and negative about people. Right? But we must draw a line in the sand today and say, we cannot allow this weed to thrive in this Jesus gathering because unity is more important. Amen? Can't allow it can't tolerate it, can't allow it in our lives, right? When you walk and see your yard yard full of leaves like I did, I mean, weeds, when I came back from Brazil, I was angry. Things went crazy, weeds everywhere. I didn't like it. Figured I got to do something about it. We should feel the same way, right? We got to. And the final weed, do not grumble against one another or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Have you ever grumbled against another Jesus follower? Right? Right? Have you ever grumbled against a church? Ah, I don't like that church. I don't like the way they do that. Yeah, You ever grumbled against church leaders, right? And parents, try this at home. Grumble against church and church leaders. Try this at home if you want your kids to walk away from God when they leave your house. Okay? Just try it. It'll work. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. If you grumble and criticize Christians in churches all day long, when you're, <laughs> you're going to turn your kids off from Jesus in a heartbeat, right? Is grumbling a big deal to God? Big deal to God? Well, 1 Corinthians 10:10. 10, 10, and do not grumble, some of them did. And what is that? What does it say? We're killed. Killed. like they were grumbling against Moses and against God's plan and God you can check it out <laughs> he sent a plague and they were killed and I'm so glad we don't have that problem of the day in the church right I'm so glad grumbling died right I'm so glad I've cured grumbling in my own life right no I'm saying one of the most effective ways that our enemy steals our joy, kills our witness, and destroys our progress and becoming more Christ like is to get us to focus on everybody else's faults and flaws and then just grumble about them rather than looking at yourself. And James said, hey, that's not a good idea because, like, Jesus is standing at the door. And, like, when you're grumbling against somebody, like, he's hearing everything that you're saying. I mean, if Jesus suddenly in the flesh were to jump in, to the midst of your grumbling session, right? What would you do? Hey, G- hey, Jesus, how you doing? How you doing? Jesus, praise you. I love you. What would you do? Would you keep on grumbling? Hey, Jesus, can we talk about this person? Would you, you know, what would you do? Do not grumble against one another. Jesus hears everything. He hears everything that, 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 that we're saying. And, and here... Here's what God said. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. Remember we read that in the beginning? And who tremble at his words. And I just pray that we tremble at his word, that I tremble at his word. And say, you know, I can't tolerate these weeds in my life anymore. I can't walk past them. I can't ignore them. You know, you know, I I pray that I have a humble and contrite heart. Right? Right? And I pray that you have a humble and contrite heart that humbles yourself at God's word and you say, you know what? When Jesus listens at the door, he's not gonna find me judging other people. He's not gonna hear me grumbling. He's not gonna hear me slandering. He's not gonna hear me lying. He's not gonna hear me provoking. He's not gonna see me being jealous of other people. He's not gonna hear me biting and devouring other people because I'm not getting my way. No, he's gonna hear me encouraging other people, accepting other people, carrying their burdens. He's gonna hear me forgiving people, serving people, and he's going to hear me extending grace and mercy and being patient with other people because they are weedy works in progress just like I am. Would you stand and pray with me? Jesus, we we are humbled by you. God, I'm humbled by you. I look at that bucket of weeds, Lord, and I sit up here talking about it, and I I got some weeding to do. God, may we be a church that loves unity so much that we will not tolerate any more unanothering, disunifying, oneness-destroying weeds in our lives. Gotta pray we each repent and have contrite hearts because we all stand before you guilty. Not one of us is without sin, so we cannot cast any stones this morning. We are guilty. And God, I pray that we tremble at your words and we, we change. And that we create a Jesus following that is united and one so the world may be one. Thank you for your forgiveness. And God, I pray that right now we just surrender to who you are and that we want your way, not our way, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.